The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. We've been going through 2 Corinthians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he helped start in Corinth. The a lot of the New Testament is actually this. Paul wrote letters to these churches that he helped start. And we're looking at it because this is a church community. And us here at the end, we are a church community. And a lot of insights that Paul gives to these churches can apply to what we are experiencing as well. And what we've seen so far in the past two weeks has focused mainly on Paul's own journey of faith. A couple weeks ago, church, Ryan Church started us off by looking at um, Paul's conversion and how he had found comfort in his relationship with God. And it was really in the comfort that he found growth, not in the necessarily the spectacular. And then last week we saw um, Paul talking about the yes that God has said to us, that Jesus has said to us, and the opportunity we have to say yes back and receive the love and forgiveness and mercy that God wants to give us. Now, I think we all know that in a community, if someone comes in and challenges the leadership and says, you can't do things a particular way anymore, it's going to cause tension, right? Someone came into the ink community and said, no longer can you refer to women as cis. That would be a problem for us, right? Because if you've been around around church at all and you're female, hey, sis, how's it going, sis? So excited to see you, sis. Glad you're here, sis. Try it. I mean, it will happen. That's just the way Ryan is, and it's great to know that he's our bro, right? But if someone came in, if someone came in and said, you can't say that anymore, it would cause tension. There would be conflict, and there would be a need for forgiveness. So that's the circumstances of what's happening in 2 Corinthians that Paul is addressing directly. Um, Paul loved these people. He loved them. He helped start this church, and he desperately wants them to know how they can be a community that shares hope in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for them. And so he's giving them some instruction, essentially. So know that's what has happened as we take a look at this scripture. Unhealthy conflict, someone coming in, stirring things up. We don't know exactly what happened, um, but the offender was brought before the community. There was repentance and there was growth as a result. So that's what Paul is writing to specifically Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians, starting chapter 2, verse 5. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes." So as I mentioned, this is a passage about forgiveness, obviously. Paul is calling this community to offer grace and forgiveness to the offender. Um, Verse 7, you ought to forgive and to comfort him. 
Now, why does Paul do this? And he gives us, he gives us two reasons why. The first one is that he wants to save the offender from falling too deeply into shame, that he might leave the church behind altogether. We probably all know people that this is their story, right? They were shamed by the church. They didn't receive forgiveness and grace, and so they don't want to have anything to do with it. The second thing, the second reason Paul gives is if the community does not forgive, it might be overcome by Satan, meaning there's going to be a toxic kind of evil experience in their community. Notice Paul is more concerned about the community being overcome by bitterness allowing evil to rule than he is about anything else. I think this is interesting. The community not forgiving this person is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous than what this person did in the first place. The offense that the person did. Forgiveness saves a community. That's what Paul is communicating to them. That's one of the main tenets of our Christian faith, right? We all know it. We are saved by the forgiveness of our sins. We understand the need to practice it. Maybe sometimes we even apologize and sometimes say you're forgiven. But man, is it hard, right? If we are honest, it is really hard. Remember when you were a kid and you would be fighting with your siblings or friends and an adult would step in and forced Apology and absolution, like immediately, right? Like I have an image of probably what it would look like, right? Yeah. An adult would come in and say, did you hit your sister? Yes. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. And the response is usually, it's okay. Let's play Barbies, right? It would be so great if that's where forgiveness worked in our lives. You'd go from fight to absolution in like five minutes, right? Be nice, wrapped up, bow, Done and done. I was a package. I was wrapping. (laughs) Shockingly, I'm not making money as a mime. Anyways, so it would be great because it would be so quick. But we know in practice, it is probably the hardest characteristic to carry out as people who aspire to follow Jesus. And it is impossible to fake, right? You can't do it through gritted teeth. You're forgiven. It just doesn't, doesn't work that way. I would say for me, I would never be able to forgive without the transformational work of the Holy Spirit. Of my own power, I would be holding on to grudges left and right. I would be piling them up. If you cross me, that's done. We are finished. I would be a bitter Betty because I am very logical. I like cause and effect. I want justice. I want fairness. And there is no forgiveness kind of included in that part. Something that happens with unfortunate frequency these days um, is the fact that we hear a lot about school shootings. It's terrible. They're always full of pain and grief, the likes of which I can't even imagine. Even in our own city, our own community of SPU last spring, horrible violence, the effects of which I know SPU and its students will be feeling for years to come. But even in the midst of that, there was amazing forgiveness and grace alongside the pain and grief experienced at SPU. So why do I bring this up? Well, when looking at forgiveness and thinking about offering forgiveness, especially the idea of an entire community forgiving, like what Paul was writing to in the Corinthians, 
One incident comes to mind because of the way that our world, kind of the media, reacted to it um, upon hearing about the shooting, and that's because it was stories upon stories of forgiveness. Maybe you remember this. It was October 2006. Charles Roberts went into an Amish schoolhouse in the community of Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, and he took 10 young girls hostage. Five of them lost their lives, and then he took his own life. What was remarkable about this incident is while part of the community went into action caring for the victims and the victim's family, there was another part of this Amish community that went into action in another way. The same day the shooting happened, part of this Amish community went and visited Charles Roberts' wife and children to offer forgiveness and to be a caring presence in their midst. Another Amish man went and visited his father Half the people at Charles Roberts' funeral were from this Amish community, and the family of Charles Roberts was invited to the funerals of many of the victims. And it didn't stop then. The Roberts family were still regularly welcomed into this Amish community as recently as 2012, and it probably continues to this day. Charles Roberts' mother actually weekly visits one of his victims who's brain damaged and reads to her. One of the angles that the media jumped on, and this happened at SPU as well, with this story, is that those Christian communities, they were too quick to forgive. They offered grace much too fast. The thing about forgiveness is it can be very off-putting. It can be offensive for people. That something beautiful can be made from brokenness and violence That's the power of the gospel. That's the witness of Jesus' death on the cross. Beauty from brokenness and pain. When we consider this, this Christian Amish community, we might think of them as people that are really different from us, right? They wear black all the time and hats and bonnets, and they like drive horses and buggies, so they're not like us at all. And we probably think they're so pious. They're like Christian superheroes. I don't share that story in order for you to think that you're not as good as them. Like, oh, they're so awesome and you guys suck. No, I share that story because even if they seem different from us, they share the same faith we do. They have the same Savior in Jesus that we do. And they are filled with the same Holy Spirit that is in our midst. They're not more capable because of who they are as followers of Jesus. The father of one of the victims actually describes having to daily kneel before God and ask for strength to forgive. And every day the emotions are there, the anger and the grief and the pain over losing his daughter. But he says, we have to start each day. You see, the Amish forgive habitually. Like it is a regular practice as followers of Jesus. Something that they do every time they kneel That's why they were able to forgive so quickly. They didn't waste time deciding if they were going to forgive. Instead, they daily put their energy into forgiving so that they might be able to overcome whatever initial vengeance they might feel when they're hurt or in pain. Because they know as they forgive, they will have hope. That's the power of forgiveness through the gospel. Now, I would imagine most of us, 
Many of us, most of us probably don't have experiences as severe as something as a school shooting, as brutal as that, where we've been wronged in that way. But I know we have all experienced pain and hurt, suffering, where forgiveness seemed impossible. Maybe it was because of a broken relationship, right? I think that's something we all can connect to. A few years ago when I was in graduate school, I was dating a guy off and on. It was great. Um, (laughs) We were dating for about a year, and we were kind of back and forth in our relationship. And um, in the midst of this relationship, I had a good friend of mine. She was, I would say she was my best friend. And I would tell her everything that I was going through. I would cry with her about this guy. Um, and I would share with her how much pain I was in. And she was incredible. She was a great friend in the midst of all of this. And about a, uh, yeah, it was about a year, and we decided, like, yeah, let's give this a go. Let's be boyfriend-girlfriend. Um, we're going to, you know, go with this relationship. And at the same time, I found out that he was secretly in a relationship with this friend of mine. And they didn't tell me about it. I figured it out. So... Uh, you know, when I heard about it, I was WTF, which of course stands for, wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, but really, I can't, I was, I was in so much pain. I was so hurt by this experience. And um, the, with the guy, whatever, I mean, when I look back on it, it was a terrible relationship. So that wasn't any big deal. But the the amount of trust I put in this friend, I felt so betrayed. And the worst part of it was, um, I saw them all the time because he and I worked in the same place and we interned at the same church and we, we all lived in the same building and we all had the same classes together. So every day it was like, turning the knife as they're holding hands, walking down the sidewalk. Um, <laughs> all right, I got you all to feel really sorry for me. <laughs> I bring up that story to tell you that I was so hurt. I was in so much pain. And it was through that experience to know one of the most complicated parts of forgiveness is that when we've been wronged, bitterness sometimes is enjoyable. Just like the Amish, we might consider them superheroes, I could become a comic book villain, plotting my revenge, uh, uh, right? Knowing that you are right and someone else is wrong feels good. And you are contemplating what the zingers are that you're going to say to them so they hurt as much as you hurt. Unfortunately, sometimes that feels really good. But that is exactly what I think Paul was talking about when he addressed the Corinthian church. And he said, I don't want Satan to rule in your midst. That's toxic. He didn't want the loudest voice to be one calling for vengeance, for justice to be done. Now, don't get me wrong. Justice is great, right? It's how we live our everyday lives. We wouldn't be able to function as a community if we didn't have justice. But with Jesus, justice is not the last word. What was the last thing that Jesus prayed on the cross? What did, what's the last thing Jesus prayed? Forgive them. With Jesus, the last word is forgiveness. It's not justice, it's forgiveness. 
And praying that same prayer that Jesus prayed pushes us into compassion, not revenge. It pushes us into understanding, not annoyance. It pushes us into accepting our brothers and sisters as sinners, not rejection of them. Forgiveness is not soft. It is hard-edged gospel. It is strength. With Jesus on the cross, forgiveness trumps justice. It always does. Maybe you're like me and that I know this to be true, but I didn't want to go. I, I wanted to stop at justice. I was good with that part of it. I wanted to see others hurt the way that I was hurt. The problem with that is that meant I was holding on to my pain and my bitterness and it was eating me alive, this vengeance I had and everything that came out of me was bitterness and anger. And actually in my case, it was more kind of getting shoved down into what I can imagine is this ugly black knot that was ready to kind of explode out of me at any moment. And I didn't know that I was God's forgiven child because my hands were like this. I was holding really tightly to my righteousness, my hurt, my fists were closed. There was no way I could receive anything. And God was there, as God always is. God was there to offer me grace and forgiveness and love. But I couldn't receive it because my hands were way too full of my own victimhood, my bitterness. That's what Paul was warning the Corinthians about. He says in Colossians 3, we are able to forgive because God first forgave us. But when we are so full of all of the things that make us right and someone else wrong, when we hold on to our hurt, there's no way that we can know and receive God's forgiveness for us. Opening our hands and letting go, I'd love to tell you it is so easy. It's just light as air, but it's not. It is painful. It is a difficult process. Tim Keller, in his book, Reason for God, calls it a form of suffering. Here's what he says. You not only suffer from the original wrong done to you, but now you forego the consolation of inflicting the same on them. You're taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on another person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like death, and it is death, but it does not stop there because that death leads to resurrection. You have to let go of whatever it is that you're holding on to, the hurt that you're holding on to, because when you let it go, when you let it die, something more powerful, more freeing will be resurrected, will come to life. Forgiveness affirms the hope of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit transforms something broken into something whole, creates beauty where there is chaos and pain, reconciles relationships that seem irreparable, and transforms you into who you were created to be, a forgiven child of God. The best news about this is that we are not alone. You are not alone in this. 
Not only do we have Jesus, we have each other. It was only through the support of my friends and my family, my community, that I was able to actually open my hands, offer grace and forgiveness. The Amish, they forgave as a community, not as individuals. And what Paul says to the Corinthians, remember this, verse 10, he says to them, if you forgive someone, I forgive them too. Tonight, we're taking communion together. And as we do, I want you to pay attention to the fact that we are a community participating in the body and the blood of Jesus together. We are all in need of God's forgiveness. We all need to extend forgiveness. And we are all transformed by the work of Jesus on the cross, where forgiveness trumps justice every single time. Open your hands. Lay at Jesus' feet your pain, your suffering, your bitterness, your anger. Allow him to transform you. Receive his forgiveness and extend forgiveness in the places that you need to.